So like I said, we have been walking through the book of James on Sundays and also in our dinner parties. We've been doing a little bit of a Bible study in our dinner parties. Dinner parties are how the Table Church does small groups. So if you are new with us, make sure you learn a little bit um, about our dinner parties. We are actually taking a break for the month of August to to take a little Sabbath and train up new leaders. Um, But those will relaunch in September. So I want to encourage you all uh, to make sure that you are in a dinner party come September because you get to do cool things like discuss scripture um, as we go along throughout the sermon series. So to recap, James is a letter that was written to the Messianic Jews in Jerusalem. And basically, James is offering uh, to his audience practical wisdom for living out our faith. So he pulls a lot of what he is teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, which was Jesus' first sermon in Matthew 5, 6, 6, and 7. And then he also pulls a lot of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. So as we've gone through James, what we've really seen is that he's just repackaging Scripture uh, for his audience and reminding them of what they already know to be true. And he essentially is giving them instructions as to what to do and what not to do as they work out their faith. Uh, in the world. James says that faith is not just about believing the right thing, but it spurs us to act and live like Christ would. In fact, over the past four weeks, according to James, I went ahead and assembled a list of all the things that we are supposed to do and not supposed to do. And it gives me a little bit of anxiety. Probably you guys too. (laughs) It's a little overwhelming, but what we have to recognize is that this, this is not a checklist right? Rather, these are steps that we can take as believers to live out our faith. Um, and he wants to ensure that as we do this, we have good intentions and that we are, we are being intentional about living like Christ would in our daily lives. And a couple things, when we look at a list like this, we have to remember that, first of all, God is not going to tell us to do something that he has not already given us the capacity to be able to do, right? And then the other thing that we have to remember is that James is not meant to be read in a silo. No scripture is meant to be read in a silo. So when we go through the book of James, we have to remember that that original audience, they already knew about Jesus. They already knew about his life, his death, his resurrection, and the grace that he offers when maybe we don't get everything right and don't do everything on this list. So make sure that you're you're reading James, but also the rest of scripture uh, in tandem with the gospels and what we know to be true um, in terms of what Jesus has given to us. So today, we are going to dive into the last section of James, beginning at James 5, verse 12. We will get there in a moment, but if you have an old-fashioned Bible, you can take this time to turn to James 5, verse 12, pull out your smartphones, however you like to read Scripture. And as Pastor Angela mentioned last week, trying to make my microphone stop buzzing. There we go. As Pastor Angela mentioned last week, James is shifting us at this point uh, in Scripture from the super practical to the supernatural. And now if you are anything like me, you have probably had many different uh, relationships with prayer over the course of your faith journey, over the course of your life. Uh, there have been times, sort of like in my early walk as a Christian, where I thought that God was just this genie. Uh, That whenever I asked for something in prayer, he was just sort of like hanging out, waiting to grant it to me. There have also been other times where uh, I came to God in prayer over and over and over again, asking him for something that he actually had already put right in front of my face. Or I came to God over and over and over again in prayer, and he had already equipped me to answer that prayer myself. 
And then the worst one is the bartering prayer. Like, God, if, if you do X, I will do Y. If you just give me that parking spot, I'm running late, then I will, I will up the ante and, and read my Bible twice a day. But this is not an accurate way to pray. That is not a biblical understanding of prayer. But the reason that we do this is because prayer is so mysterious. On this side of heaven, we will never fully be able to understand prayer by human metrics and by human understanding. Scripture tells us some truths about prayer, though. We know that in Jeremiah 29, 12, it says that God will listen to us when we pray. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. 1 John 5.14 says that we can come with confidence before God when we come to him in prayer. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And then Matthew 6, 9 through 13, this has become known as the Lord's Prayer, and this is Jesus giving us instructions for how to pray. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Prayer is mentioned in the Bible 375 times by name, and the concept is mentioned over 4,000 times. And yet, that entire dense book of scripture, and we still do not fully comprehend everything that goes into the power of prayer. And I can't promise that you will leave here today uh, knowing everything there is to know about prayer, but my hope is that this can start a season for you where you explore prayer more deeply. We are entering into 21 days of prayer as a church starting today. Who's excited about 21 days of prayer? This is where you all just, yeah, you applaud to like humor the person who's speaking. Um, but this is a really, really sweet season, and I'm excited to be stepping into it with all of you. We go through 21 days of prayer uh, in January, and then before we jump into the fall season, so we're going through it in August. And basically, we know that... Uh, Science says basically that it takes 21 days to develop a habit. So that is our intention, that that we would be um, creating a habit to go to God first in prayer, to always pray first. But we're also committing to this season um, to being prayerful with one another in community. So there's a couple ways that you can get involved with this. First, if you go to thetablechurch.org slash pray first, there's a bunch of resources there. Uh, there's guides to help you pray. There's a Spotify playlist if worship is more your thing. There's a little phone background so you can you can change the background on your phone so you remember to always go to God in prayer. But what we're really excited about is there are 21 daily prayer prompts for you to be walking through together. And we also are going to be putting those up on our Instagram story every day so that collectively we all can be praying for the same things throughout these 21 days. And then another cool way that you can get involved is uh, every Wednesday throughout the 21 days, so on the 7th, the 14th, and the 21st, at our downtown parish from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m., we're going to have a little prayer and worship gathering. It's going to be a really sweet space. The space is yours. We don't make you do anything that you don't want to do. We don't, like, pull you up to the stage and make you pray over everyone. Um, actually, just one person will be doing that. You're going to have the chance to hear some testimony from, from people in our church You'll have some time and space to pray and some time to worship God. So I want to encourage you, if that time is not already blocked off in your calendars, uh, make sure that you are there and, and make it a priority um, throughout this week and the next 21 days. And now one of the reasons that we do this, why we walk through 21 days together, is because as James is going to show us, transformation happens in the context of community. 
So let's now dive into the word. I'm going to read James 5, 12 through 19 uh, together, and then we will we'll break it up as we go through and, and talk about it a little bit. It says, Above all, my beloved, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of the faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters, if any among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Now, the majority of this section is about the power of prayer and the responsibilities that we hold as a church community. But James starts off in 5 verse 12 talking about how our yes must mean yes and our no must mean no. He pulls this from Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 34 through 37. And James is basically saying that if our actions are consistent with what we are speaking, with what's coming out of our mouths, if we essentially practice what we preach and speak truth to one another, then there's no need for an oath to bind us. We will avoid condemnation with one another and we'll avoid being caught in a lie or being seen as untrustworthy. And then James goes right away to talking about prayer. And while James has been a little bit all over the place throughout this letter, um, I think that he's really intentional about speaking about the importance of truth before he goes into talking about prayer. James is reminding us that truth is essential not just to healthy living, not just to being part of a healthy community, but truth is essential to the power of prayer. We'll remember that earlier in chapter 4, James says, regarding prayer, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. James is showing us that for prayer to work, it has to be rooted in truthfulness and have godly intentions. We have to ask God in faith for his will to be done. His will to be done meaning the ultimate truth. We cannot ask God for our will to be done and for him to just bless it. Let me say that one more time. We have to ask God in faith for his will to be done, knowing that that is the ultimate truth. We cannot ask God for our will to be done and for him to simply bless it. So then James goes on to talking about praying for ourselves. In verse 13, he says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. And you'll see here that James first focuses on the individual. He is telling his audience that we have a responsibility to pray for ourselves. In trouble, pray for deliverance and happiness. Sing songs of praise to God. Praise him for what he is doing in your life through prayer. James is saying that a life of faith is one that produces prayer in all times and all places. And the most incredible thing about prayer is that we can come to God personally, right? We don't have to go through a pastor. We don't have to go through a prayer team member. We don't have to go through an elder. We certainly can, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But what's so powerful is that Jesus made it possible for us to come to God 
directly in prayer. There is nothing that stands in the way from us having an encounter with God in prayer. And what's even more incredible is that when we might not know what to pray, when we might be unsure of the words that are going to be coming out of our mouths, Romans 8.26 says that when we come to God in prayer, the Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf. How cool is that? Scripture says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, there are also benefits to praying in community and praying with others, but we must remember that we have a responsibility and an accessibility to pray for ourselves and come to God one-on-one in prayer. Moving on, James discusses prayer within community. We are at uh, 5, verse 14 through 15, and he says, Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. So we see James naming the role of the elders within the church here. And interestingly, the word sick, it's mentioned twice in that block. The word sick actually has two different meanings. James uses two different Greek words. The first time in verse 14, the Greek word is asteneo. And this sick does not necessarily mean to be physically unwell, but it more so means to be spiritually unwell, to be weak, to be in need, or to fall. And then the second time that he uses the word sick, the Greek word there is komno, and this means to be weary, fatigued, or physically ill. James is teaching that we are not just to pray for the physical needs, but we are to pray for the spiritual needs as well. This is affirmed one more time, which we should pay attention to. Whenever, whenever scripture mentions something or a concept multiple times, that's like our clue to really zone in on this. And so it's affirmed again by the mention of anointing with oil in verse 14. Anointing with oil has actually had a dual meaning in Scripture. So, for example, uh, during the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, the oil is actually applied to the Good Samaritan as a medicine or as a balm, right? It's, it's fixing uh, physical needs. But then in 1 Samuel 16, we see Samuel anointing David with oil before he becomes King David. And Scripture tells us that when Samuel anointed David with oil, that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. James is affirming that prayer affects what is seen, but also it affects what is unseen. And we are called, as a congregation, to pray for both, both physical and the spiritual, knowing that God heals both. Before we move on, I want to take a moment uh, just to, to talk to you a little bit about the elders, since James mentioned it here in Scripture. And here at the Table Church, we, we actually have an elder board. We have an elder board, a leadership body, and then a board of trustees. And the people who serve on our elder board, they are basically seen as the spiritual leaders of our congregation. And unlike other churches, they're not necessarily a governing body, but rather a body that is entrusted for caring for you, your spiritual needs, your physical needs. They're the folks that... Uh, you want to have visit you when you're sick. They're the folks that you want to have pray with you when you are going through a difficult time. They are the folks that are, um, they're going to come and celebrate with you when you're going through a good season in life, right? These, these are the people that are supporting you 100%. And the way that our bylaws are written here at the church is they state that the congregation nominates the people who they want to serve in an elder capacity. So every couple of years, we do an open elder nomination, and it is time for us to do that. 
And so I want you to begin praying and thinking about who those people might be in our congregation. Who are the people that that you would call if you needed some reassurance from God that everything's going to be okay? Who are the people that you would call if you were sick and you just wanted someone to come and pray for you? And I want you to think about those names. And uh, then when you're ready, we're going to ask every person who calls the table home to nominate three people who they think would serve uh, well in this elder capacity. And to do that, you can go to thetablechurch.org slash nominate. And then uh, we don't have a voting process that comes from that. Basically, what we'll do is we'll just take whoever has the highest amount of nominations, and we'll have a conversation with them about what it would look like to serve in the elder role and serve in leadership. Scripture states that the elders not only provide prayer for the physical and spiritual needs, like James says, but in Scripture we see that the elders seek God's will for our church community by studying the Scriptures and following the Spirit. They equip the church for a life of service. They provide teaching and wise counsel to leadership. They restore people to spiritual health, and they care for the poor in the congregation. So I want to encourage you to begin thinking about that. And we will send this link out to all of you, so don't feel like you need to remember it or do it now. Um, but I'm excited to, to move into this new season, especially as we go through this pastoral transition. It's going to be really great to have a full elder board um, with folks who are ready to care for us as we go throughout this new season together. So let's return to the text now. The reason James places an importance on the role of the elders is because he is beginning to name the importance of praying within community and how transformation happens within community. He goes on in verse 15 to say that the prayer offered in faith will save you. The prayer offered in faith will save you. It will bring about healing. Now here, he isn't necessarily, he's not talking about the people who are unwell, okay? He's saying that the faith of the people who are praying in the church is part of God's healing process for other people in the church. The faith of the people who are praying is part of God's healing process for others in the church. James is teaching that the church, you all, should stay alert to praying for its members. We are not in this journey alone, but the church is called to take care of the church to pray for one another, to pray with each other. In verse 16, James tells us that people are to confess their sins to one another. Thanks. It's not necessarily for, you know, just the opportunity to air your dirty laundry. I don't think that's the intentions that James has here. But rather, he says this because he knows that healing takes place in the context of community. When we confess our sins to other Christians, we then have the opportunity to reassure one another of God's love, of God's forgiveness, of his mercy, of his grace, of his pardon. He's saying that to all believers in the church, you are already equipped to do this because you know the truth of the gospel. For example, in a little bit, we're going to come over to the communion table, and you all are going to confess your sins corporately. We do this every week. And then I, whoever is serving as a celebrant, they reassure you of your forgiveness of sins. Now, we're not actually doing that part as a, as a pastor, as like some special holy person. We're just doing that as a member of your community because all of us are equipped to remind people of the grace that they have through Jesus Christ and through his sacrifice. Friends, if you have been struggling with something, if you have been going through a difficult season, if you have been asking God for healing and for breakthrough in a particular part of your life, and change has not come, I want you to consider the reality that God is not ignoring you. God is hearing you loud and clear. 
But maybe God wants to use someone else to speak that healing into your life. If you're hurting, I want you to ask the last time that you prayed out loud with someone. I want to ask you the last time that you prayed with someone in this church, and not necessarily a pastor or someone on the prayer team, but but people in your dinner party, your small group, people that you're serving on a team with, people that you're living your life with. When was the the last time that you asked them to pray for you? We often are so scared to go to one another with our burdens and with our hardships, and we think that in our vertical relationship with God, all of our problems will be solved. But God calls us to the horizontal. And we know that God works through the horizontal. He calls us to access him through one another. And I know that it can be scary, but we have to remember that it is not us or our faith that produces change and healing. It is God working through those things. In 1 Peter 2, verse 5 through 9, we are told that in Christ's kingdom, every believer is like a priest to other believers. Before Jesus, we read in the Old Testament uh, that this wasn't true, that people actually, they had to bring a sacrifice and they had to go to a priest and confess their sins to be reassured that God loved them and that they were forgiven. And we don't have to do that anymore. I love the message version of this. It says, present yourselves as building stones for the construction of a sanctuary vibrant with life in which you will serve as holy priests, offering Christ-approved lives up to God. He goes on to say, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work. You all. Chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him and to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Friends, it can be scary to pray with one another. It can be scary to pray out loud, to be vulnerable, to speak of what God is doing in your life or at least what you think God is doing in your life. But scripture tells us that we are God's instruments. We're already equipped to do this. Right? Peter, in this verse, he's talking about us. And I want to encourage you today that, you know, however broken you think you are, however disheveled you think you are, however worried you might be of what words would come out of your mouth when you are praying with other people, if you're worried about saying the right thing or speaking the right words, you have to know that God is writing a story in your life. That if you are open to sharing it, it can actually transform the lives of the people around you. Right? Faith is not just about us. Prayer is not just about us. It's about the people that he has surrounded us with. God doesn't just work on a vertical, but he works on a horizontal, and he he works through imperfect people. And in case we need more reassurance that we are already equipped to do this, verse 16 goes on to tell us that the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. You might be asking, okay, well, who is righteous? Certainly not me, right? That's not a word that I would use to describe myself. No, actually, James is talking about you again. He's talking about anyone who has faith. Because we know in Romans 3.22, it says plain and simple that through Jesus we have been made righteous. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's you who have faith. We are equipped. We already have what we need. But see, James... He knows what you all are thinking, and he, he's, he's realizing that his audience is probably still just a little bit hesitant to take this all as true. 
And so he goes on one more time to talk about Elijah. In James 5, 17 through 18, it says, Elijah was a human being like us. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. Did you catch that Elijah was a human being like us? Who through prayer, he ended a three-year famine and drought for the people of Israel. The point James is making is that Elijah was ordinary like us, and it was through God and through the power of prayer that he became extraordinary. God made him powerful. Elijah was ordinary like us, but through prayer he transformed his community. Through prayer he fed his community. Through prayer he literally saved his community. God works through the prayers of the community. And I have never seen this lived out uh, more clearly in my life than over the past 10 months. I asked a friend of mine for, for permission to share some of his story with you. Last fall, a member of our congregation, uh, they got very, very sick. He was diagnosed with cancer. And immediately, all of leadership and his friends and his family, we all began praying. We began praying for healing. We began praying that God would intervene. And he beat cancer. He beat it. And then uh, we found out shortly after that even though he had beat the cancer, the chemo had destroyed both of his lungs so much that he wasn't going to be able to continue breathing on his, on his own uh, in, the, in the near future. And it became very obvious that the only way forward for this person was to receive a double lung transplant. This is a young guy, right? He had so much life in front of him. And he was told that even though he, he got through this terrible season, he beat something as terrible as cancer. His lungs were not going to be able to sustain him and give him life moving forward. And so we decided that we were going to start praying as a community. And a group of us, we started praying on a conference call twice a day. We started praying uh, through through text messages. And... Within days, he was not only approved for a double lung transplant, which, which usually I've been told that those, those tests, they can take weeks. He was not only approved, they found a donor, and he received the surgery, and he got new lungs. Yeah. And his journey wasn't over, though. That same group of people, we continued to pray through the highs and the lows. We got updates, and we were praying on text messages, we prayed on conference calls throughout the day. We prayed through all these ups and downs because we know that when we pray in community, change happens. We did all this because we know in Scripture that God tells us wherever two or more people are gathered, that the Spirit of God is going to show up and He's going to move. He's going to move wherever two or more are gathered, whether that is on a conference line, whether that is in a text message, whether that is in a hospital room, whether that is in your dinner party, whether that is at a bar on a Friday night or at a party on a Saturday night or in the back of this church on a Sunday morning or at your place of work on a Tuesday. Friends, if you want to have an interaction with God, it's a simple math problem, right? Wherever two or more are gathered, Scripture tells us that God will show up. And now the friend that I mentioned 
he's in rehabilitation and he is moving out of the hospital and into a new apartment for the first time in 10 months and his life is forever transformed. Right? He, he will have to take anti-rejection medicine for the rest of his life, which can be a burden. It also can be a reminder of what God had brought him through. But also, the people that were on that conference line praying for him, our lives are transformed. Our lives are transformed because we know that God worked through through us and through the prayers of all the people that were lifting him up. Even though we are just mere human beings like Elijah, God worked through us. And I'm not I'm not interested in arguing whether it was all just some giant coincidence or or science or medicine or the doctors, because my God is bigger than all of that. Right? He is over all of that. And our lives are different from witnessing this. Our lives are different because of prayer and community and because of freeconferencecall.com. Very, very grateful that that exists. So during these 21 days of prayer, I want to encourage you to pray with each other, pray with one another. We fight our battles on our knees, but we also are called to fight our battles in community. No battle was ever won by one person going forth and doing it by themselves. And one of the weeks, we will specifically focus on praying for the church during 21 days of prayer. And I want to assure you that God is going to work through the prayers of of this body of people, right? God is going to bring us into this next season, into the glorious future he has planned for us, as all of you are lifting up prayers for this church, for the leaders, for our next future pastor, for our teaching for the space that we want to maintain that can be open and welcoming to all people, where all people can come into this church and know the love of God. It is our responsibility to pray for our church. And we can have confidence, like Elijah did, that God's going to move through it. James makes one final point in verse 19 through 20. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap us up after this final point. My brothers and sisters, he says, if any among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by one another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James is saying that we are not just called to pray for each other, but we are called to chase after one another. We are called to bring people back to God. When people distance themselves from the church, when they distance themselves from their dinner parties, when they distance themselves from prayer, from their faith, they are distancing themselves from God, and it is our responsibility in the church to bring them back, to bring them back into community. Just like in Luke 15, Jesus tells us that he would leave the 99 sheep to chase after the one sheep that has gone astray. One sheep. Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to leave. These 99 to go after that one. And we are called, if we're called to, to live like Christ would, and that means that we're called to chase after people with that same type of love. To bring them back home. To bring them into the fold of what we have going on here where all people are welcome to receive the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Where all people are welcome to serve one another in love. Where all people are seen as righteous through Jesus Christ because of his sacrifice as they confess their faith to one another. Where all people are welcome to pray for one another, knowing that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The entire book of James, as we have seen, is based on living a life that looks like Jesus would live. And that ranges from the super practical to the supernatural. 
We need both, right? We need the practical. We need to be humble. We need to endure under trial. We need to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. We need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. We need to look after the poor and the vulnerable and not show favoritism. We need to control our tongue, remove selfish ambition, submit to God, and that's not even the whole list that I showed you earlier. That's the super practical. But living like Jesus also means that we are called to chase after the supernatural in prayer. And so as we wrap up, as we go into these 21 days of prayer beginning today, I want to ask you to do four things. Pray for yourself in the highs and in the lows, right? Pray for your hardship, but also for what God is doing in your life, and tell people those stories. Second, pray for our elders and the leadership of this church. Think about who those people are that you want to be serving on your elder board and then take the next step to actually nominate them. TheTableChurch.org slash nominate. Third, pray for each other. Trust that God works in and through broken people made righteous only because of Jesus' sacrifice and his love for us. And stretch yourself to pray with other people in this church. And then lastly, pray for those who have wandered. Think of your friends that are not are not coming to church, are not coming to dinner party, and pray for them and reach out to them and love them and bring them back into what we have going on here. Slowly, gently bring them back into this incredible community that you all have created. And most importantly, I want you to remember that even though prayer is mysterious, it is accessible and it is what we are called to do. Before we move into communion, um, We're going to close in prayer, but I want to do something just a little bit different today. And I'm going to ask for all of you right now to close your eyes and to bow your heads. Don't focus on anyone else that's around you. Just bring yourself into focusing with God. And because we know that God works through prayer and works through community, with eyes closed and with heads bowed, I want to ask that if there is anyone in here who is struggling with something, if there is anyone in here who is who is asking God for healing and you have not been delivered from that, if you are asking God for breakthrough in a particular area of your life and you have not seen it, I want to ask that you would just raise your hand right now so we, so I know who we're praying for. I want you to remember eyes are closed, heads are bowed. Just raise your hand. Raise your hand. I see, yeah, I see all those hands. Okay, you can put your you can put your hands down. There's a lot of hands raised. And I'm going to I'm going to pray out loud, but I'm going to ask that all of you would pray in your hearts for the people that just raised their hands, knowing that God is going to work through your prayers and that he works through community. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the people in this space, for the ways that you have created them uniquely for the lives that they are living. I pray, Lord, that you would equip us and you would empower us to be people of prayer, to come to you first with everything, in good times and in bad. I pray, Lord, that over these next 21 days, we would develop this holy habit of being a prayerful people, that people would know our church because of our prayer lives. I pray, God, that you would use this season to transform us and to develop leaders in this space who can who can lead us even closer to you through the power of prayer. And God, I pray over all the people that raise their hands in this space right now, God. I pray, Lord, that you would release them from whatever they are struggling with. 
I pray that you would heal them from any sickness that they are dealing with. I pray that you would deliver them from any hardships they are going through or from anything that is holding them captive right now and preventing them from being as close as possible to you, Lord. We pray against any and all evil that might be present and just ask that you would take that sickness, you would take that hurt, that you would take that that hardship and you would replace it with Jesus' love and with his grace and his mercy and that you would restore these people and you would bring about healing in their lives, Lord. And then, God, I pray that they would be on fire to tell people of the healing that you've done, to tell people the story that you are weaving throughout their life, Lord. We praise you and we thank you for being present today and with us always. In your name we pray. Amen.